Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Look at him there, sitting on the couch, pretending to care about the Bundesliga. Is that a slice of Black Forest ghetto? It is! Oh, it doesn't get any more German than that! This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always with James from Gunnerblog. James, good morning to you. Good morning to you too. How are you doing this I'm, morning? I'm doing all right. I'm going to start with a question because it's uh, relevant to this particular part of the podcast. Okay. It comes from at Flanny Balls, who's only flans on <laughs> Twitter. Is that where somebody just sells flans? What is His that? account is just him posting flans. flans. Different flans. And that's it. Okay. Only flans, if that's what you're looking for. Flans, uh, get your flan uh, fix right there. Anyway, he says, how long are you going to keep calling James, James from Gunner Blog, rather than James from The Athletic? James from Horrible Histories or James from everywhere else? I looked on GunnerBlog.com and the last blog is dated 1972. I think he's exaggerating there for comedic effect, but it would be fair to say that it has been Sometimes since you posted Sometime. something on, on gunnerblog.com, which I but can't I th- load at the moment. No, I, don't, I think it's broken. But I think I think that I should still be called that. You know, you can take the boy out the blog, but you can't take the blog out of the man or something. Yeah, it's it's you've got gunnerblog DNA. I mean, that's what I've it comes right DNA. down to. Exactly, exactly. Blog till I die. Um I, I think stick with it. I think stick with it. Otherwise, it just begins to sound, you know, what What would you, if you had to change it, what would you say? Well, that's a good question. I James, mean, just James. Just James. James from... At what point am I James from Arseblog? That's the well, question. Well, that's the thing, James from the Arsecast Extra, which is a bit too meta for my liking, a bit too clever, sort of, sort of like um, the podcast version of Inception. You know, nobody needs a backwards podcast where we start at the end and talk about what happened in, you know, in uh, non-sequential order or whatever you want to call it. We don't need that. I I think, and if you just said, I'm just here with James, I don't think that would have, that wouldn't sound as good. Do you know what I mean? No, it wouldn't because people would be thinking, well, which James? Which James? You know, is it? Which James? I mean, it could be like uh, James Gandolfini. No, it couldn't be. Um, because unfortunately he's he's dead. He's no longer with uh, us. Yes. Yeah. I mean James Bond. They could think it was uh, it, James Bond. James yeah. Corden. Holy shit! We wouldn't want people to think it was James Corden. James Franco. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I've never been mistaken for him before. I must stress, and I don't think it will ever happen. No. James Brown. No, that's not going to happen either. He's also <laughs> dead. All these famous Jameses are dying. James Earl Jones. 
Oh, if uh, it was James Earl Jones, that would be good. Seeming a podcast. Yeah, he could do the whole, you know, the, the whole podcast. light touches. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> His voice is amazing. It is. It is. Um, is he Darth Vader as well? Yeah. Cool. The voice of that- Darth Vader, not the actual actor of no, no, Darth yeah. Vader. Sure. I think stick with James from Gunnerblog. But listen, I appreciate Flanny Ball's sort of querying it. Mm. But, you know, I, I think what we have, we hold. Do you know what I mean? Let's... Stick with what we've got. It's, it's worked so far. What about footballers called James? James. Uh, James. Um, Madison. Oh yeah, yeah. That'd be a bit. That'd be a bit boring, wouldn't it? Daniel James, of course. One of these. One of these guys with two first names. Suspicious of those people. Always exactly. suspicious of those people. Very, very suspicious. Uh, other footballers called James. Oh, um, um, James Rodriguez. But that's not really James, is it? I'm not going to start calling you James. No, I do have a Columbia shirt with James on the back, but it looks like I just sort of really fancy myself as a footballer. Do you know what I mean? I've just put my, like Brazilian style, just put my first name on the back of a shirt. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Arsecast Extra. As always, with James from Gunnerblog. Doesn't work. I've got a cousin who insists on calling me James. I've just remembered that all the time. I don't know why. I don't know if he thinks I'm Spanish or something. Is he Spanish? Um, no, no, no. Just a little thing he's picked up. Right. <laughs> it's a strange affectation, isn't it? It is. It's weird how, you know, people do that in life. Okay. Um, li- well, listen, I think from now on you should change it every week. That that puts an awful lot of pressure on me, though, to think of I know, something every and week. I none on me. So yeah. that's why I suggested it. Maybe I'll do it for a, a week or two. And okay, see where it takes yeah. me. Um, Until the football is back. Yeah, exactly. You know, there could be an awful lot of kickback from people who, who like things the way they are. That's they true. don't want change. Enough stuff has been changed recently without us fucking around for no good reason. But who knows? We'll, we'll That's see. That's it. We need to give people some consistency. Exactly. By the way, go on. By the way, I, I saw your tweet not long ago about sound quality and television <gasps> broadcasts I've got to ask you about that yeah um, it's, I don't understand it I was watching a video this morning and uh, just let me be clear this is um, not to be in any way critical of, of David Jones on Sky uh, who's doing an interview with Paul Merson which I was watching and you know I was, I was um, enjoying the, the interview and it was Paul Merson opening up about stuff and that's you know that's grand but um, I don't understand why the presenters on Sky don't have a good microphone because I think it's one thing if your guest is a little bit, you know, Skypey. So mm. you sort of, you're, you're here and you go, so how did you feel about that? And then the guest answer is going, well, you know, it's fine. That's fine. I think we can all get our heads around the fact that, you know, as a guest on a show, if you're recording on your phone or your laptop or your tablet, you know, you're not going to have the greatest sound quality in the world. But... You know, for a big broadcaster like Sky not to give their presenters a microphone which allows them to, you know, broadcast in in broadcast quality, if you like, is really strange to me. It's annoying. Mm. You know, um, you will know and um, people will know I've got a bit of a hang up about sound quality. I, I like to make sure it's as good as it can possibly be. And I think, you know... Um, at my end, I've got a microphone which cost, I think, around 400 euros, a Shure SM7B microphone. That's not even expensive in the world of microphones, let me tell you. It is right. not that expensive. Um, you have got a, a, a Rode USB microphone, which I think cost in the region of 100 
120, 140 euros or pounds or something yeah. like that. Sound quality is really good. Um, I don't get why Sky are, are, are compromising sound quality on their broadcasts for no good reason. Although some people have suggested that it's like product placement for AirPods because they all wear the Apple AirPods. Mm. So it could be that, but I still don't think that's a good enough reason. Let me just say, if I said to you, if I texted you before the show and said, just uh, letting you know, I'm going to be doing the cast with my AirPods today, you would not be happy with me at all. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. We would, yeah, I think we would have would crosswords. There would be no James from Gutterblock. Yeah, exactly. I'd just get any random James I could find <laughs> who had a decent microphone. I'd chat with them instead. Um. <laughs> no, it is interesting. I mean, you'd think the first thing you would have done... In fact, one of the first things the Athletic did, I think, when all this happened, was they sent everybody mics, you know? I, I had one already, fortunately. But, you know, that's what you do, isn't it? You, you give people equipment so they can do this stuff properly. It is yeah. weird. It is weird. It is weird because I think, you know, like I said, there's, there's a difference between the presenter and guests. Do you think they are making a call that they like the visual of sort of, you know, they, they, they're not seeing a mic in the frame, you know, and it just looks like mm. person to person? Do they think they're, they're putting the visual above the audio? Could well be, but I still think you can have the visual without um, compromising the audio because you could have a microphone... Uh, out of shot because they're fairly sure. close up and it could be sitting on the desk in front of you. Um, could you, be attached to the camera. Could be anywhere. Yeah, exactly. You know, you can have a good USB microphone that plugs into a laptop uh, and just sits in front of the, the presenter. And yeah, I think, I don't know why they're doing it. I don't know why they're doing it. Just to annoy you. Just, to, just annoy to annoy me. Annoy. Well, look, congratulations to them. It's working. It's working. You win again, Sky. God damn you. So tell me this. Yes. On the weekend that football returned, mm. did you watch any football? <laughs> um, I watched a little bit of football. I watched some of the Dortmund game right. on Saturday. But I was painting some walls and, so, and I was watching it on a phone. So my focus was very in and out. Uh, I saw Harlan score that good goal. And he's kind of like a scary robot footballer. <gasps> we have um, another question on that. We might as well do it, um, okay. seeing as it's it's come up in in the uh, the questions here. It comes from Facebook from Joel Abraham, who says, "What do you think of Haaland's crap interviews?" <laughs> mm. Where basically he's been asked by the guy, uh, you know, "Well, you scored today. How do you feel?" And he went, "Very good." <laughs> and these sort of short, short uh, replies, which don't uh, expand on how he's feeling, which I have to say, look, he he looks a bit sort of um, evil. Sure. Like a cyborg. Kind yeah. of like a cyborg. But I kind of, you know, what are you supposed to say when someone says, how do you feel? Yeah, it's good. I scored a goal. I feel good. You mm -hmm. know, maybe he is trying to raise broadcasting and journalistic standards by making the presenters think 
more about the kind of questions that they ask in post-match interviews, which really, when you think about it, only lend themselves to bullshit answers. You know, how, how do you feel about scoring a goal? Yeah, pretty good. You know, obviously, uh, it's, the most important thing is that the team won and we got the three points. But, you know, on a personal level, I feel very good about scoring the goal, blah, blah, blah. And it's like 20, 30 seconds of waffle that nobody needs. And he's saving us all time by just going, yeah, feel good. Exactly. Good. Someone's got to transcribe that stuff at the end of the day. Yeah. You know, save someone a job. Maybe these guys are coming at him wearing AirPods and he's like, come back when you've got a proper microphone, yeah, you bastard. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it is a bit like he has sort of been programmed by like a really lazy coder and they've just only put in, you know, a few standard responses <laughs> to stuff. But I quite like it too. I mean... Yeah, I think it's fine. I don't think... I think, you know, you've, you've seen some journalists probably tweeting about it on the timeline, and yeah. there's a sort of slight sense of, you know, he needs to learn that the press, you know, are part of this. And I'm like, well, it doesn't really. Like, you don't have to talk to the media to be good at football. It's nice if you open up and want to show a bit more personality, but it's not an obligation, really, I don't think. No, uh, I mean... He's, he's entitled to do whatever he wants. Exactly, you know, he's not there to make life easy for a journalist or a broadcaster. I mean, I think if he was being really rude or, or what have you, um, and some people might argue that just giving a two-word answer to a 30-second question is quite rude, but, you know, it, it is a case that they ask the same questions a lot of the time and they just don't need much more of an answer than the ones that he's giving. So maybe, maybe it might just make people think a little bit differently. So, Yeah, and also, like, what we don't want is people just saying the same thing again and again and again. And even if what he's doing is a bit brusque or a bit rude, at least it's different. And I think it kind of tells you more about him as a person than him just saying, yeah, you know, obviously it was a tough game, but we pulled through in the end. The lads really worked. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. we learn more from him being a bit of a dick about it uh, <laughs> than we otherwise would. And that's great. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so anyway, he scored for Dortmund. I didn't see any of the Dortmund-Schalke game right. at all. I watched some of the, the the highlights. I saw the goal clips after the fact. And, uh, and you watched Bayern did you on Sunday? Yeah, I watched uh, FC Union Berlin against Bayern Munich. Of course, I was up for the uh, the team in red, which were not Bayern Munich. Uh, mm. Was the uh, the team from Berlin? Who I you know I've kind of chosen as my my Bundesliga team until Arsenal come back. Um, okay, you know not for any particular reason other than they seem okay. And I asked our friends over at the Stadio podcast, uh, uh, Musa and Ryan. Um, uh, who are at Stadio, you know, is this a reasonable team to support? Are there any sort of problematic issues with supporting them? Like, are they, you know, uh, for example, sponsored by a massive, disgustingly sweet energy drink and things like that? Sure, so sure. they're not. And they seem to play some decent football. They've got some good players played okay against Bayern. I thought they, you know, obviously were up against a, a better team, but they weren't uh, completely outclassed or anything like it. Uh, but Bayern won in the end. So that's, that's a bit disappointing. But, you know, it, it's not like uh, Arsenal losing or, or anything like that, but just to sort of give it a little bit of interest, it's it's nice to have a team uh, yeah, that you can follow. But um, you know, it was a strange sort of experience. It was it was weird. Obviously, the weirdest thing is the is the lack of fans, and yep. um, you know that Although is the socially distanced goal celebrations are also quite weird. 
They are a little bit because you can see that they're forgetting themselves <laughs> yeah, yeah. at times as well. And uh, I was, uh, I think it was after Lewandowski scored his penalty, I was going, why are they all doing chicken impressions? What's going on with the chicken shit? And they're all sort of going and like waggling their elbows at each other. And then I was like, oh, yes, of course. Because, you know, there's no there's no sort of jumping around and hugging and kissing and all that kind of stuff. And for me, that's a good development in football terms. You know right. my feelings on celebrations. Uh, I feel like really any goal, any goal that isn't a last-minute winner in a crunch game um, – shouldn't be celebrated with anything other than just sort of a, a, a handshake and a sort of nod of the head. And yes, that was good. Let's get on with it. There's a game to play here, chaps. Let's not go sure. overboard with the celebrations. Like you score in the first minute and there's a pylon in the corner. Get the fuck up. Come on. They've got 89 minutes to stick seven goals past you. And then how much of a chump do you look? So, you know, that that's a, that's an interesting development. Um, the shouting and the noises and all that kind of stuff will be interesting when the Premier League returns, particularly when we can hear what they're saying. Yeah, my German really isn't good enough to make head and tail of what they're saying. Uh, but it will be fascinating. I mean, you know, there was a lot of talk about pumped in crowd noise, but we didn't really get that, did we, in the Bundesliga? I, th- I thought when I was watching the highlights of the Leipzig game, Leipzig were playing Freiburg. Okay. And I'm almost certain that... When Leipzig scored, there was kind of pumped in cheering. Well, there definitely was still pumped in goal music, which in a silent crowd, I think is almost all the more offensive. Yeah. Uh, You know what I mean? When they sort of like play a pop song when the ball hits the net. Yes, that's not good. That is not good. But it was weird. It was... Mm. Yeah, I, I feel I, I feel like anyone who said it was weird at the weekend sort of got a bit jumped on in terms of people going, yeah, well, it's better than nothing and they're doing their best. And I, and I completely get that. You know, it's a real feat to be having sport of any kind on at the moment. And mm. I appreciated it. Uh, but it is really different. It's really different uh, as, a, as a viewing experience. But, yeah. It is. I, would, I mean, Look, because I'm sort of detached from it anyway and I was looking at looking at a game of football just because we haven't had a game of football in whatever it is, two and a half months. It was really nice just to sit down and my dad had come down for dinner. So we were just sort of chatting on and off about the game and the players and and the way that it went. Yeah. Um, But, you know, you are detached from it because it's not a team that that I support. It's not a league I'm invested in, etc. I wonder, will it be better or weirder when it involves Arsenal? Yes, I don't know. I th- I think it probably will be weirder because that kind of emotion won't be as present mm. in the game. Um, it, it will be weirder. But equally, it will be more engaging to watch because you care about the team more and you know the players more. So maybe it'll be all the more interesting because you'll notice mm. things you don't normally notice or hear things, as we were saying, you don't ordinarily hear. Yeah, I kind of feel like it might be more interesting, but less uh, emotive, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wonder are the things that we find interesting in the first couple of games, will they become quite dull and boring? It's like, yo, listen, we can hear what they're saying. And then it'll be like, oh, God, I wish we couldn't hear what they're saying. I know. Wish we couldn't. (laughs) Turns out they're they're just saying switch again and again. Yeah, 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 yeah. Man on! 
You know, yeah. or there'll be somebody with like a really annoying, screechy voice. I'm not saying it's necessarily going to be an Arsenal player, mm. but, mm. you know, there's going to be somebody in the Premier League who's got that kind of like, ah, that kind of voice when they're shouting, and it will become yeah. very annoying. Harry Maguire does a lot of talking. I think he'd have to be a candidate for that. He's yeah. very vocal on the football pitch. You can almost hear him when there is a crowd. So, yeah, that might be great after a while. Right. Um, yeah, I, I, listen, it's it's football, Clive, but not as we know it. Not as we know it. I thought what was quite interesting was, was the fact that Bayern um, were on top, I suppose, for most of the game and did have good attacking moments and and came close to scoring and it just strikes me that if you can get your goal scoring going quickly you can probably um think positively about what you're going to do when when football comes back because there is going to be an element of rustiness there is going to be an element of um you know the 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 fact players haven't played together for such a long time you know I was sort of surprised by the technical level of the games. You know, it's mm. not that football players are just going to like, you know, when the ball comes to them, it's going to bounce off them like it does a Sunday league player, you know. Um, but, you know, it has been a couple of months and it's going to be another month anyway, more or less, isn't it, before the Premier League returns. So you're looking mm. at three months, three and a half months without playing any competitive football. It is going to have an impact on on the way teams play. It's going to take them a while to get up to speed, match fitness, match sharpness, you know, sort of knowing where people are and, and everything else. So I do wonder if there's going to be something for coaches to think about, like, okay, are we going to be a bit flaky defensively? Is it going to take a while to, you know, maintain our structure and shape and organization? But if we can get our goal scorers scoring, we could pick up points. interesting to think about what way the managers are going to think about how they rebuild their teams if you like yeah and I think with particular opponents to Arsenal because you know we have goal scorers don't we that's something where you know we've got people who if they if they can fire um, could give us a little bit of an advantage there Mm. I think another thing to consider is you know what what impact the fitness of the players has on the way these games play out I think I saw a stat there were eight muscle injuries in, in the six Bundesliga games, uh, which is a relatively high ratio. And I think right. I think I think there'll be some of that probably in England too. Um Yeah, I saw them e- using the subs. They used yeah. Union I think used all five subs maybe. I could yeah. be wrong, but it was like, Oh yeah, they're making another they're making another change. Mm, mm. I think the minutes will have to be shared. Um uh, there weren't many upsets in in Germany this weekend, and I, somebody sent us a question. I'm sorry, you'll have to forgive me. I've not got it in front of me, but they were saying, you know, do we think that the games might go a bit more like that? Here you go. Johnny Bowden said, "Hope you're well, chaps." With very few surprise results in the Bundesliga this weekend, do you think behind closed doors games will throw less surprise results, and we'll just see the best teams win every week without fans and atmosphere having any effect? Maybe. I mean, I think it's it's too small a sample size to say definitively, yeah. isn't it? You know, to, to, to try and look at any trends. But, yeah, I mean, we did have um, a discussion about this, didn't we, about home advantage and, mm. and what have you. And I think there was another question here from our Discord 
um, from Matt JD, who says, will Mike Dean's one-man show still function without an audience? says, I know Andrew doesn't think the absence of home fans for our away games will have much effect on the players' performance, but do you think the lack of majority support for the home team will affect the referee? And that's a really interesting point because I thought about that yesterday. There were a couple of moments where there were some tackles and, and the referee gave free kicks to Bayern or whatever it might be, and a couple of them were maybe 50-50. And I just wondered, like, if the home fans were there making noise and, like, let's say he still gave the free kick to Bayern Munich, but the home fans went crazy, uh, you know, at the referee for giving a decision which they disagreed with, you know, is that something that referees completely block out? I know they will say they're not influenced by the crowd at all, etc., etc., but you know, it may well have an impact when the crowd is going crazy at decisions that you make. You know, eventually you give a free kick to the home team and the, the cheer, ironic cheers and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. I wonder if that might be a factor. I think it might well iron out some of those intangibles and you might see a bit more of an objective uh, objective contest, you know, and, uh, and the better teams might be the ones who... Who, who comes to the fore. Uh, another thing that just struck me then as you were chatting about the absence of crowds is you do occasionally hear about Premier League players who, you know, they're, they're great in training, but when they get to game time, sometimes they, they, they don't psychologically mm. quite make that step. And I wonder if there'll be certain players who might flourish in this environment because it will feel weirdly like a training session. Uh, and they might feel more comfortable. They might feel mm. more at home. Maybe particularly younger players, you know, who aren't used to playing in in that kind of intense atmosphere I do wonder if it might in some ways be easier for them um, so that'll be an interesting thing to keep an eye on too yeah I mean I suppose there is that uh, that dynamic isn't there where maybe you can feel intimidated by a crowd you know whether it's even as a home player you might feel nervous in front of all those yeah. fans I do think generally speaking though most players when they get to this level are I'm not necessarily able to block it out, but it's just part and parcel of the the theatre. You know, once you've played mm. a few games, um, do, do you even think about how many people are watching? Because if you if you even stop to think about it, okay, the sixty thousand people in the stadium here, and there are tens, if not hundreds, of millions of people around the world watching me play football right now. I mean, yeah. if that's in your brain before you go out to play a game of football, you'd be like, oh, fuck. Oh, yeah, shit. yeah, you, you couldn't. I mean, and it's almost too big to compute, isn't it? Mm. But, I, funnily enough, I had a chat uh, with a former Arsenal player from the 90s, Paolo Vanazza, and he was saying, so I thought it was really interesting, was that he found it easier to play in the Premier League because the crowd just kind of blends into one. It's sort mm. of an amorphous mass. But when he went down the divisions and played sort of League Two and conference football, and you can see the individual faces of the people behind the goal or hear the things they actually shout at you, he <laughs> found that a lot harder. Um, so, yeah, I think at the, at the top level, you might be right. It might just be sort of something that kind of blurs into mm. one a bit and that you don't really take that much notice of. Here's another question from the Discord, which is from Chifinho, who is talking about things that are uh, often brought in as temporary measures, um, but then never removed. Mm. Um, and he said, which is likely most more, more likely to remain in a post-COVID world? Five subs or the removal of the blackout window, which is uh, uh, a rule in the UK, which says that no live football can be uh, broadcast, transmitted on a Saturday afternoon 
afternoon between three and five because traditionally those were the times when people went to games and they wanted to make sure that there was no disincentive uh, you know to to local teams or whatever so if you could see uh, sit at home and watch a game on TV this was the thinking anyway um, you know you wouldn't go and go to a game and pay a ticket and all that kind of stuff so um, yeah I mean to be honest I think there's every chance that both of those are here to stay um, it, it's just one of those things where when things change, it feels unlikely they'll go back. We've got a thing in London at the moment where they've just, they're about to change the congestion charge, which you pay to drive into town from being a five day thing to a seven day thing. And they're saying it's temporary because of coronavirus. But I, I suspect for, for a number of reasons, some of them good and valid, it might well just stay that way. Mm. And I kind of think it will be the same with football. I think once managers have got used to the the prospects of having five subs and once players have got used to all those extra minutes they might not otherwise get, mm. I kind of feel like reverting from that will actually probably encounter a bit of resistance. And as for the TV, I mean, there's an obvious advantage to clubs, particularly Premier League clubs, in being able to theoretically stream or broadcast you know, any of their games. So I think they'd be delighted to see the back of that. Yeah, there's an interesting piece in the Irish Times today from uh, Ken Early uh, of Second Captains uh, who makes a really interesting point about um, football as uh, a TV show now, which is basically what it is. As long as fans are not allowed in stadiums, football is a TV show. Now, why are football matches traditionally played at the weekends? Because it's when people are off work when people are able to go to football matches. As long as they're not allowed to go to football matches, what is the advantage to football of having games broadcast at, uh, let's say, non-primetime hours of the day or at the weekends? You know, Saturday afternoon is the typical time when people are out doing other things or they're, you know, doing stuff around the house or out with the family and those kind of stuff, uh, things, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So we think about what football might be like uh, and the changes that might take place to the game. Um, But I wonder if at some point they start tinkering with the the calendar, with the schedule, with the traditional kickoff times. Uh, And I know that it's not the same anymore because football is taking place, you know, all across the weekends. Premier League games don't all take place on a Saturday at 3pm like they used to. You know, even with that in mind, I wonder if there might well be some some changes or some pressure from broadcasters who are not getting quite the value that they thought they were going to get from the money they're spending on the rights to show football because there's no fans, if they might leverage the money that they're paying to try and move these games to times when you might attract a, a bigger audience. Yeah, very possibly. I mean, the calendar for what remains of this season, assuming it goes ahead, which I think is likely at this stage, is not going to look anything like an ordinary football schedule. And I think the same, crucially, will be the case for next season as well. Mm. And I just think after you know 18 months of that or a year of that, however long it might be, I just think it's quite unlikely that we revert to some of the traditions and habits that we've sort of had in place before. I think some of these changes will will be permanent um obviously not not having fans in the stadium i think obviously the sooner that problem can be resolved you know safely the better but i think some of these things around the game definitely what Mm. what do you think about the five subs one i think it's i think it's uh perfectly okay 
Um, I like the fact that you still only have three, or what is it, three chances plus halftime to make changes. So I think that's good. So if you were stopping, you know, um, if you could make a a stoppage for each substitution, I don't think that's, uh, the game doesn't need that. But I think having more, the ability to change more players, I think is, is okay. And I think we talked about this the other week, didn't we, about, you know, a change that we might make to the game is is the idea that if somebody is concussed, if they get a head injury, um, because, you know, football does need to deal with concussion more seriously. Um, you know, I know things have improved over the last little while, but as a rule, I think it can do better. So if you can replace a player uh, who picks up a head injury, um, you know, without it costing you one of your subs, um, I, I think that would be a decent idea. Maybe it's not quite as, um, what you call it? pressing if you can make five subs right you know if you've if you've if a head injury costs you one of three subs it's more damaging one of five subs not quite so much um but yeah i think it's i think it's okay i i think it might make for um it might make for really interesting final 20 minutes of games because you can introduce fresh legs, you can introduce new tactical ideas. I wonder if, as well, it might lead to a kind of specialization of certain players and certain individuals, if you like. Super subs. Kind of, yeah. So let's say it's you've 20 minutes to go and you're losing 2-0. Uh, yeah. You need to attack, so... Maybe, you know, there's the classic example is you stick on the big man up front and you, you know, you lump the ball into the opposition box. But what if you put a big guy up front, but you also put on a player who is, uh, let's say, a set piece, set piece special, yeah. you know, or, uh, you know, really good at crossing the ball from deep uh, uh, within the opposition half. So you don't have to get to the byline. You've got somebody who can put in a good cross from just inside the opposition half. You know, I wonder if there might be developments in, in player, uh, skills because of those extra substitutions Mm, that's really interesting yeah I'm just trying to think like within the Arsenal squad is there anyone who you're like you know there's a potential role for them as a kind of 20 minute specialist yeah Uh, I don't know I mean it would depend I mean even it could be something like somebody who can who can uh, throw the ball long like a Rory yeah, Delap yeah. type Rory thing you know Delap it doesn't have to be yeah. something magical but I mean again you might get players who are good at, uh, at running at uh, players players who are good dribblers um, you know even even um, if you're winning a game and the opposition is having to come on to you do you throw on your speed merchants to hit them mm. on the counter attack you know all of these things could be developments that happen because you can use five subs yeah, I think that's potentially really exciting. I mean, one objection I've seen mounted to it is that it might favour big clubs because they have more squad depth available to them. Mm. Do you think there's anything to that argument? I suppose, but everybody has the same size squad. But if you can, yeah, maybe for the bigger clubs, the the, the quality across you know, their squad is probably higher, isn't it? So if you're a smaller club, you might have a first 11 or a first 14 that can realistically compete. But once you go beyond that, your subs aren't quite as um, 
at the same level. But again, maybe it's maybe it's about uh, upskilling, if you like, or training certain players to be effective as substitutes. That's a yeah. that's a mind fuck for some players, maybe, or it might take a, a change of mindset, if you like. Well, Giroud was brilliant at it, wasn't he? I mean, uh, he was an effective uh, sub, yeah. Yeah, like he was a re- he was, he showed himself to almost be a specialist in that, being able to affect games coming on late. And certain players can, certain players really, really can't. I, I think one of the exciting things about five subs, maybe it's just because of Arsenal and the squad we have and the amount of young players we have, but mm. it's the development opportunities that open up. You know, suddenly, you know, if you bring Reese Nelson along, I mean, you're seven subs. It's not like you know, he's not got a great chance of being used. He's going to get on the pitch probably. And that might be valuable to his development. Yeah. I mean, think about how many times this season we've bemoaned the fact that we haven't been able to use a particular sub because we've picked up an injury in the first mm. half or we've had games where we've had a couple of injuries. You know what I mean? And all of a sudden the manager is restricted in terms of the, the changes that he can make. You know, You've got players on the bench who could have a positive impact on the game, but you can't use them because uh, you, you've um, you've had to you've had to make a sub because a player has picked up a knock or because somebody's been sent off. You know that kind yeah. of thing where you've okay, right? We've had a central defender sent off. We're going to have to um, put a defender on, and and maybe you know one of the the most interesting uh, results this season came when we didn't go down that route if you think about what happened to Chelsea when uh, Louise got sent off mm-hmm. uh, we didn't put on a defensive sub and you know it paid dividends for us but you know I think giving managers a bit more to work with in that regard would certainly be would certainly be very interesting and we'll see it might make substitutions even more important in a game and therefore the ability to read a game the ability to look at what you've got on the bench and and try and figure out new tactical uh um elements to your play like if the players know right in this scenario we're two nil down we need goals this is what we're going to do and you can train for that kind of thing it could be really interesting yeah I, I, and I yeah I personally have no objections to it I think it's a a good development and I think it will be here to stay mm. okay well look we've waffled for over half an hour and there are plenty more questions and there's obviously uh, we've got to talk about Unai. We've got to talk Unai. We've got to talk about the interview that he did. Uh, so let's uh, take a break here. People can uh, get a cup of tea or whatever they want to do or continue their walk or just keep listening and uh, we'll take a break. That's what we'll do. We'll take the break. You guys keep listening and we'll do your questions and more in part two right after this. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from The Athletic. Sorry, wrong bit. <laughs> Got it wrong there. Uh, this is part two of the show, where we answer the questions that you send to us via the Horrible Histories Twitter account. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. Uh, on Twitter, at Garblog and at Arsblog on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. And, of course, on the Discord channel of The Boxer, James's one-man show, which you can see this year in the West End. Now, on the Discord channel, you get access to if you're an Arsblog member on Patreon. I just want to, before we go on with questions, James, I just want to put yes. the uh, microphone thing for Sky presenters into context here. Now, okay. you know the microphones that commentators use, uh, and I don't mean the headsets, the ones that the headset with the mic that comes around the side, the one where they kind of hold it up to their mouth. It's like a handheld sure, sure. thing. They hold. Those microphones are made by a company called, I think it's Coles. And they cost, in the region, of 700 euros each. Each. 700 euros each. Now, in this day and age, when football comes back, they're all going to have to have their own ones because you wouldn't be able to share one. That's true. With somebody. I saw, um, I'm sure I've said this before, but, you know, uh, I've done voiceover work down the years for Satanta Sports. Um, and, you know, a lot of the games, um, you think the commentator is there. He is not there. He's sitting in a room and he's watching it on a monitor, not even a big screen TV. A, a lot of the time it's these weird square monitors. And um, the room where I did the voiceovers in Satanta Sports was one of those rooms where the guys would watch like French Liga or they'd watch Bundesliga and they would commentate as if they were at the games, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the microphones was usually there. It was disgusting. Disgusting. Like, In imagine, what way? Like, okay. You wear headphones, I'm sure. Yeah, earphones, yeah. you know, everyone wears the earphones that you put in your ears. And every so yeah. often you take them out and you look at them and you go like, okay, I need to like clean them out a little bit, right? Uh, of course. You know, that kind of thing. But imagine that yeah, with, yeah, 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 yeah. with, I don't know, four or eight years of spittle. Yeah, and they're just kind of sitting there and the next guy comes up and you might give it a wipe with a Kleenex or whatever, but they talk into them. Anyway, point was, those microphones are about 700 euros each. 
And, you know, we're supposed to believe that Sky Sports can't go out and spend 100 euros on a fucking Blue Yeti? Come on. Come on. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. But, you know, I, the, the, I'm sorry, I'm really distracted by the how horrific those microphones sound. Uh, mm. I, yeah, awful. Yeah. I mean, they got to go. Surely, so, so do you think they'll get cheaper mics for people now they've all got to have one of their own? I they don't know. Can't, can they? No. They can't just be sat in the commentary booth with their AirPods in, can they? No, they can't because they pick up too much noise. The point about those microphones is that it's got this kind of lip that goes over your top lip and so uh, you're you're speaking directly into it like this and it's blocking uh, out all the, the, the noise, which is why it would take somebody with an exceptionally loud voice sitting behind you uh, for you to be able to pick up something on the broadcast. If that were to happen, I don't know any occasion on which that is <laughs> happened um okay but just you know or some of them do they have the, the they've got the headphones with the microphone that comes around the front but they're not quite as enclosed and and you can probably pick up stuff from those microphones much more than the actual uh, the the handheld commentator microphones anyway look I'm leaving that to one side. I'm over it already until next time. Sure, sure. Um, Peter Hust, who's at Peter Hust, wants to know, Morning, gents. What's your take on the Unai Emery interview? Was he treated badly? Or is he just trying to blame everybody else? (laughs) Well, I feel like I should bat this immediately back to you because (gasps) I I feel like you will have a a very strong opinion on this. Well, I just... uh... I wrote about it a bit at the weekend um, on yeah. the blog, and I thought that the whole Zaha thing was like just so summed up everything about the Unai Emery era, and not just Unai Emery, but the way the club operates and, and the way that the football side of the club is is run. You know, we have this manager who's brought in by Sanyehi, basically is given this huge amount of support, even when things were going terribly. But in the summer, where he said, "Look, I really want this player. This is the player that I want. I want mm. a right-footed guy with Premier League experience to play on the left-hand side. You know, this is the guy. I've met with him. You know, I, I he's." a game winner whether that's true or not is another thing but that's what Emery wanted and Arsenal went out and did something completely different like completely (laughs) different like and it's not to sort of say um, you know that signing Pepe wasn't a better idea than signing Zaha it's not really about that you know because everyone has their own opinions on the players and whether 80 million for Zaha would have been better than 72 million pounds on Pepe you know people can meet up in the town square when all this is over and they can have at it they can have a big debate about that you know uh, it's not fight really to fight to the death, whatever you do, you know, ju- or even just, you know, discuss it cam- calmly and rationally over a beer, whatever, whatever way you want to do it. I like the way your mind went straight to, you know, um, um, conflict and death. Maybe, yes. maybe that says a lot about you, James. I'm not passing any judgments <laughs> here. I'm just All saying the times that. Times we're living in. <laughs> yeah. uh, but just like, is it any wonder that it was a fucking mess when mm. Emery wanted this and the club gave him something like basically the opposite? You know, that's a it's a really good point. I sort of irrespective of whether the club got it right or wrong. I think, yeah, you know, it it just shows a bit of um, what's the word dysfunction. I think, yeah, that's not harmonious recruitment. That's not a harmonious recruitment strategy with a manager who says this is what I want, and the club goes, okay, well, we'll get you that. And even if he couldn't get Zaha. You know, if that's the player he wants, get him a player for that position. If you're backing him, if you're really truly backing your manager, which, you know, they they insisted they were, 
They mm. insisted, even when shit was going down the tubes, they were like fucking briefing through back channels about how fans were making noise and it was all this, that, and the other. They were right behind him, but they couldn't get him the player he wanted or, or a player in that. It's just... It Maybe just, they felt so guilty that they hadn't got him Zaha. <laughs> that they were like, we can't sack him. Don't you remember the whole Wilfred Zaha thing? He was yeah. so sad about that. Uh, yeah, it's it's... So what I think about the Emery thing is I've been waiting for it. You know, it was kind of inevitable that sooner or later he was going to come out and do a piece where he said it wasn't really entirely my fault mm. because it's almost his professional obligation to do that. You know, and, and I found it really telling, actually, that at the end he kind of says, well, you know, Real Sociedad is the club of my heart. And if there is a club in the Premier League, I would be interested in that opportunity. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's basically a pitch for a new job. Hey, isn't why it? not? Look, yeah, I, got, I, I had no issues about it from, from that point of view. Yeah. You know, he is going to tell uh, his side of the story. And I think it is, you know, fair to say that it wasn't all his fault. Like, it didn't work for him. He wasn't good enough. What mm-hmm. he did wasn't good enough. But as we kept saying on the podcast, he can't be the only one to blame, um, you know, for, for what's happened. And, you know, realistically, you can point to the fact that, you know, we took a slide when Emery took over. You could also point to the fact that we took a slide as soon as Raul Senyehi, um, uh took over as head of football. Mm-hmm. You know, ultimately, who's responsible? Well, well, I mean, something that Emery did bring up, and I think that probably we don't talk about enough, really, which, uh, you know, given the amount of shit we talk about here, it's kind of amazing. But the, the Aaron Ramsey situation and the management of that, I think is mm. still a very curious one, isn't it? And I, I find it very difficult to believe that that was something in which Emery had any real influence, to be honest with you? No, I, I don't think so. Although, you know, he did come in and tell Jack Wilshire, you're not in my plans, you should find a new club. So, you yeah. know, he did have some strong opinions about players from the start. Mm. Um, look, Durant- but he was very positive about Ramsey in that early period as well. You know, by the same token, he was talking about, you know, building the team around him and stuff mm. like that in July. Yeah. Yeah, look, again... It feels like a lot of water has gone under the bridge. And, you know, he he talked about, you know, well, we lost four captains. But, I mean, again, that reflects badly on Emery. It reflects badly on the club as well. Like, Mm -hmm. how is it, you you know, your your inability to pick a captain and make a decision about a captain, and we saw what, you know, what happened with Xhaka and the consequences of playing out that decision for so long and what an impact they had on on the sentiment and everything else. But, like, to lose one captain is careless. To lose two, et cetera, et cetera. You know what I mean? If you lose four, what the fuck is going on? And I don't think... That's Arsenal, baby. (laughs) (laughs) That's Arsenal, baby. Um, You know, I I, I think you can look at Emery and say, well, look, you know, you, you played your part in this, but the club itself as well have got to take uh, some responsibility in the fact that, you know, okay, we lost our captain, you know, the official captain in Lauren Koscielny, but, you know, look at the way we lost him. Look at the way we lost Lauren Koscielny, a guy who had for nine years, you know, played with uh, courage and commitment and dedication and put his face and, you know, ghoulies and, you know, everything else on the line for the football club. Achilles. You know, yeah. his Achilles and everything else. You know, the 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 idea that you could question the commitment of Lauren Koscielny um, would have seemed unthinkable. And then on the eve of the US tour, he says, no, fuck it. Like, fuck it. I can't. I, I'm going to 
I'm going to go down this road, which I know is going to absolutely set fire to my relationship with the fans and my legacy at the football club for a period of time. Maybe in time it'll soften and everything else. But that's what he was willing to do, mm. you know, to get yeah. out of the football club. That speaks badly of, of Emery. It speaks badly of the people running the football club. I, I, I thought the idea that, well, we, we, I didn't want to lose Nacho Monreal. Well, why did you? Why yeah. did we? Why did we lose Nacho Monreal for £250,000? You know, yeah. weird, yeah. fucked up decisions. And I think, for me, it just laid bare the stuff we already knew about Emery, not being the right guy and not being, you know, performing and, and doing as well as we wanted a, a manager to do. But I thought, I think it just sort of, it really gave you an idea that, that there was a a bigger picture, a wider context to why it was he he was, um, you know, a failure. Yeah, I personally, I think that Monreal decision was a really questionable one. I think, especially given that we were looking to move towards a back four, we had Kolasinac, who's not really comfortable in a back four. I know the subsequent emergence of Saka cast a slightly different light on it, but before he came mm. along, there was a period where we were really struggling in that area. And yeah, I... I, I uh, I read what you wrote about the Tsar thing and it's really interesting and I think people should go and check it out if they haven't yet. What it made me reflect on is that kind of Emery wanting Zaha, I think, shows Emery for what he is, which is a guy who was very focused on the short term, on the immediate term. He just wanted the best team right now. And actually, I think that's kind of why he was appointed because Arsenal, for the last you know, two or three years have been fixated on a very short-term way of thinking. I mean, going right back to, I mean, Raul Senye's, I think, first transfer window at the club was maybe January 2018 when they bought Mkhitaryan and uh, Aubameyang. To be fair, and I think that was more Gazidis than, than Senye, who wasn't appointed until the end of that January or, you know, maybe he had an influence, sure. but I don't think we can put that one on, on Raul. Okay, that's fair enough. But nevertheless, I think the club strategy was very yeah, clearly uh, get back in the Champions League as soon as they can. Mm -hmm. And there were other signings like Socrates, which I say, you know, would go into that bracket too. Uh, and I think appointing Emery as well was part of that. It was this sense of we're just going to spend what we need to to get back in the Champions League immediately, as soon as is possible. We've got all these players with 29, 30, Mesut mm. as a new contract. And so that's why when the club turn around now and they say, well, we're a Europa League team on a Champions League uh, wage budget, I, I feel like sometimes it's volleying back. Well, that is the wage budget that strategically you placed us on because, you know, you felt it was the right thing for us to try and get back in the Champions League as quickly as possible. Yeah. I know a lot of that lies at the previous regime's door, as you just mentioned, I'm a Gazidis. But, you know, that, that was the strategy of the club and Emery was always a short-term guy and he was looking for short-term solutions and that's what Zaha would have been. What's really interesting now is that kind of by hook or by crook, by virtue of it going so wrong for Emery and a fucking global economic financial crisis, we are forced, whether or not it was the mastermind move of anybody at the club, into a very different way mm. of thinking, aren't we? Where yeah. 
suddenly it's not about what we can spend to fix the problem immediately. We've got a young manager who's developing and young players that we have to develop yeah. for lack of alternative. Basically. Yeah. I think the other thing about the, the, the Zaha or, or Emery's desire to sign Zaha is... It, 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 all, it also sums him up in a way, isn't it, in that it's extremely reactive. It doesn't feel like Zaha is a player that Emery said, well, I'm, I really think this guy's a good player. Uh, you know, I'll watch him lots of times. It's sort of like, oh, look what he did to us. And I saw him score a goal against Tottenham and I saw him score, score a goal against um, uh, Man City or whatever it might have been. It, you know, it doesn't feel like it was the result of you know a long time thinking this is a this is a really good player who could fit well into the kind of football that I want to play at Arsenal. It was like, well, he hurt us, and he hurt a couple of other teams. Yeah, I yeah. like that. I used, I used to play Championship Manager like that. If a guy scored against me, I'd be like, well, I'll buy him. And then he won't do it next time. Uh, but I'm not sure it works like that in real life. Imagine, I mean, imagine if that's how it worked. Like, you know, somebody paying, oh, fuck, got to pay £28 million for Neil Mellor. Look at that goal he scored against <laughs> Arsenal. And I, oh. I seem to remember Man United did, had a bit of a spell of that, where they signed a couple of players. I mean, Louis Saha, although he was a very decent signing, he was particularly brilliant against Man U, and then they, they went and bought him. But I think, um, I mean, I'm one of the few people who probably thinks... Zaha might well have been better than Pepe this season. You know, I, I think there's a very yeah. good chance of that. Even but, though he hasn't been brilliant, in fairness. No, of course. He's been, and he's been injured and he's been at Palace. But I think there's every chance he would have been better this season. But, you know, of course, you're not just making the decision on mm. what's right for this season. Emery yeah. was, because he was, he had his back to the wall pretty much from the spring. And, you know, yeah, it all went wrong for him. But yeah. it was, it was, I'm trying to think of anything else that he touched on. I mean, what did you make of his comments about Mesut Ozil? Well, I think, you know, you don't have to read between the lines <laughs> too much. Like, he's yeah. not going to come out and blast Mesut Ozil because, you know, uh, I don't know that that does him any good when he's looking for a new job. But He's already lost that PR battle once. Yeah, I mean, I think, the, I think the fact that, um, you know, one of the first things that's mentioned in the interview is that after Baku, which again, you know, he kind of glosses over. There's a lot of questions to be asked about our preparations for Baku and, and the way that we, uh, you know... Uh, did our Europa League final preparations, um, something that, you know, he won't acknowledge, but behind the scenes, uh, I'm not sure it was ideal from the player's point of view. And and when you lose a final 4-1, you can understand, you know, their point of view. But mm. the first thing basically that he says or is in the interview is that after the final, there was a debrief and every single player turned up apart from Mesodozo. So, that says a lot about the relationship that the two men had. I think it says something, you know, whether you're a fan of Emery or you're not a fan of Emery or whatever else, if everyone else is doing something and you as the highest paid player don't turn up to do it, it doesn't reflect well on you, I don't think. Um, no, it's not. It's not great. Uh, but yeah, I mean, look, it's it was an interesting read. Let's put it like that. I think it, it, he says that he has an element of self-criticism. It's not particularly present in the piece, but nor mm. would I massively expect it to be. 
Yeah, look, I think he's trying to paint the best picture of, you know, his time at the club because um, he knows other people will be reading and it's about getting out there and getting another job somewhere. So, you know, if you can look at it through that context or through that lens, you know, you can understand, um, you know, where he's coming from, even if it's it's relatively easy to pick apart. But look, I think we've done too much on Unai Emery in yeah, that particular sure. interview. So let's have another question, will we? Let's have another question. Good idea. Uh, okay, I've got my little list here. Okay, yeah, what about this from Mark Morrow? If the rest of this season is to be played out in some sort of behind-closed-doors crap fest, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can trademark that, Mark, would you be happy if Arsenal treated it as a pre-pre-season for next season and trialled some new players, tactics, formations, etc.? I think I would, to be honest, because um, I'm not sure what European football is going to be like, whether it's an aspiration that's realistic or not. That's um, a really good point, yeah. So I wonder if... See, it would depend on what they do if there's like... If European competitions are, let's say, suspended until the following season. Yeah. Does your qualification for those come from what happens this season? That might be part of the thinking, you know, so you can't necessarily throw in the towel, but you know, if we were to, to give more chances and more opportunities to young players, I would be all for it because I do think that that is where the future of the, the team lies. Mm-hmm. I, I think there are going to be big, issues with recruitment in terms of what we can afford. And again, it it really uh, hinges on what the market is going to be like. I think our, I think everyone accepts that our spending power and everyone else's spending power, bar one or two clubs, is going to be m- diminished significantly. Oh, certainly. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. of all the reasons that we've spoken about before. But if the market value of players falls far enough, maybe it's something you can cope with a little better. But the obvious way to build your squad and to add depth to your squad is from your academy and is to use young players. Whereas previously you might have said, well, look, we've got a left back coming through. We're not 100% sure if he's going to make the grade or not. Look, maybe the safest thing for us to do is to go out and buy a player and know that, you know, he's he's at this level. We know he's at that level. Maybe he's not the greatest, but, you know, we know more or less what we're going to get from him, whereas playing a young player is a risk. That option could be well taken away, mm-hmm. where now you have to say, well, we need some cover at left back. Are we going to spend £6 million or £12 million or whatever it might be on a player, plus wages, plus agents' fees, all of that kind of stuff? Are we going to spend that money when we could take a chance on a young player reaching the level, you know, and if we've got a coach that we think can can develop young players pretty well, then maybe that's the way it will go. So, yeah, I, I, I feel like there's going to be a fairly significant focus on young players, not just at Arsenal, but across, uh, across the leagues. And in some ways, I mean, that... I'm not going to say it lends us an advantage, but we are in a strong position in terms of the young talent we do have in our squad and the degree of experience they already Mm. have. There will be teams in the Premier League that can spend money, probably, you know, Man City, potentially Newcastle. You know, I'm sure they'll still be able to go out and conduct Mm. some business. But 
to have the likes of, you know, Saka, uh, Saliba from next season, Genduzi, Willock, Nelson, mm. Martinelli, and Ketia. It's a long list of hopefuls, isn't it? Of, uh, mm. of players who who've accumulated playing time and and could be an important part of a squad, you know, if not necessarily the stars. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think that's the. In a weird way, I'm sort of happy that that's the route we're going to go down now. Mm. Uh, as a fan, I I can connect with that and get on board with it, and I think it's exciting. And I think genuinely, it could give us a slight slight competitive advantage against some of our rivals in terms of, you know, if I look at let's say the Spurs squad, I'm not sure they've got the same exciting bunch of youngsters coming through and they're going to have significant spending limitations. Yeah. I mean, you look at what Chelsea are doing, you know, they're yeah. sort of doing it already as well. They so, are. you know, they are. Um, and that was pre lockdown and everything else, but yeah, no, it will be very interesting uh, to see. And I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful about a lot of these players. And I think in the past, I wonder how many players who might, you know, have broken through, and maybe not quite hit the level for a couple of years because of the, the various stages of player development. Like, you know, they're not all going to be great at 20. Some of them mm. will break through and be precocious talent. So there's my, you know, the classic, what was the one they always said about Didier Drogba? You know, he was playing in League Two until the age 24 of 24. Or something. Lauren yeah. Koscielny, similarly, was a, a player who'd only had one season in in the top flight in France before mm. we signed him. You know, there have been a few of those players who, who developed late, um, and maybe just having to stick with them will will uh, will give them chances. So we will see. Okay, here is one from uh, Davy JG who says I'm subscribed unsubscribed rather from all Arsenal okay, uh, accounts on social media. I'm tired of flashbacks to invincible hybrid days and don't connect to this time due to age and living in New Zealand. Is there a split growing in the fan base and is it a concern? Interesting. Um, I don't think that's a concern. I mean, look, everybody has lent into slightly retro content, haven't mm. they, during this crisis? Yeah. And even we've done stuff or talked about things from the past. You know, it's inevitable. It's inevitable. You know, we were going to do the rewatch, weren't we, of 2002? Yeah. Or, uh, and I think that for some people, that is a big part of their fan experience is kind of uh, immersing themselves and learning that history even if they don't necessarily have a memory of it you know kind of uh, going back over that stuff and finding out about it is part of how some people do connect with the club mm. um, clearly in this instance the, the listener you know doesn't necessarily have that feeling um but I don't, I don't, I haven't really observed a split, have you? No, I don't think so. I just wonder if people are... Um, saturated a bit. Saturated a bit, or maybe just find it hard to re-watch stuff that they might have already watched, you know? Um, yeah. It's great to sort of relive the experiences. Yesterday, for example, was the um, sixth anniversary of the 2014 FA Cup final which was uh, an amazing day. Uh, we had a question mm. from AFC Met since it was six years since the 2014 FA Cup final. What was your favourite moment of that FA Cup run? Ooh. Um, 
I'm going to have to look at the fixtures. 2014 FA Cup. Uh, you know, I think we... Did I we think play Billy Spurs? I think, was that the one where Rosicki scored the goal? Yeah. Um, Maybe not, but that's what I remember. It was, because uh, we beat Tottenham... We beat Tottenham. Goals from Santi Cazorla and Thomas Rosicki gave Arsenal a 2 0 win. Mm. It's, the, it's the game where Walcott went off and did the hand gesture. Yeah, he did his cruise shit. But I mean, we when you think. Liverpool as well. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. People go, oh, look, you know, it was only Hull in the final, it was only Wigan in the semi final. But we, we beat Tottenham, we beat Liverpool, and we beat Everton. Yeah. You know? Um, uh, the I mean, Liverpool game, the- Yaya yeah. Sonogo started up front. And Podolski scored the crucial goal, I believe, the second goal. Mm. Um, I mean, uh, the Ch- uh, Kim Chalstrom penalty in the yeah. semi-final. That's a pretty iconic moment. <laughs> it surely is. I mean, look, I don't think the, I don't think your favourite moment can be anything other than the um, the Ramsey goal, or you know, the final whistle. Sanya, sure. Wenger kissing the top of Sanya's head. Lukas Fabianski coming out and doing his crazy fucking stuff. Oh, man. And know, nothing man. nothing from the Wigan game was enjoyable. I mean, that was torture, wasn't it, that match? And I I was more sure than I think I was at any other point prior in his reign that that was going to be the end of us. Oh, yeah. No, I remember, I remember doing the live blog for that game. I remember sitting in a chair in front of the TV here and thinking with 10 minutes to go, well, this this is it. There's no way. There's no way he could survive if we lose to Wigan. Just impossible, you know, to have blown that chance of of ending the trophy drought to a what were Wigan in back then? They were in the championship, I, I think. think. They were a championship team just yeah. gone down the previous year, I think. But uh, yeah, I mean, if I, if it was something not from the final, I think you'd have to look back at the Spurs game and. Rosicki's brilliant goal and mm. Walcott's little little gesture from the from I, the stretcher. I do love that Rosicki goal. Was it Kyle Walker? I think it was. Or, or Danny Rose, maybe? Oh, we're going to have to look at that again. <laughs> well, goal? it'll be a pleasure for you to do so. Goals Someone first. falls, stumbles on the ball. My my head says Danny Rose, but I might be wrong. Uh, I'm just looking at it here. Hang on, there might be volume here. Let me turn down the volume. On the YouTube. Here we go. Oh, yeah, it's Danny Rose, isn't it? I think because I enjoyed it was Danny Rose because he obviously... Yeah, it was Kyle Walker who was almost getting back to him. Yeah, Danny Rose's dreadful error, according to the BBC. Yeah, he's standing there doing that thing of holding up his shirt to his nose. Oh, the ultimate sign of... The ultimate sign of humiliation. Yeah. So there you go. Anyway, yeah. Um, but just in terms of the, the, the retro stuff and, and everything else, I don't know what else they're supposed to do. I mean, I suppose they could just do nothing. Yeah, I guess. You know? I but, guess. But if it does give people a better or a, a deeper understanding of the history of the club and some of the achievements that we've had down the years then I, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with it either, you know? Uh, and I think, you know, to be fair, the Arsenal uh, guys, the social media guys and the, the, the content guys have made it pretty uh, enjoyable, pretty interactive with, uh, you know, with the the interaction with fans and stuff like yeah. that. So and the stuff right is done. Yeah. You know, has yeah. been brilliant. Um, yeah. So I think I, all in all, they've done a great job. It is interesting sort of noticing... 
for the first time, I'm sort of noticing generational gaps beneath me in terms of Arsenal fans. You know, so I was always aware that, like, I wasn't around for 89 or, you know, I don't remember Alan Sunderland uh, in the mm. FA Cup final. But, but I think now I'm noticing there is a kind of a group of fans who are sort of the generation below me who don't remember the Invincibles and for whom, yeah, you know, the, the Emirates Stadium is all they know. And that that's kind of interesting to kind of observe that. But I don't sense a massive amount of resistance for them. I just sort of think the Invincibles mm. have kind of been done to death a bit now, haven't they? Yeah. And I think we know that story. So yeah. people are looking to want to look at different eras. Plus you're old now, James. You're old. I'm old. I know. That's what I'm realising. I'm old. Yeah. 34 in a month. 34, fuck's sake. Oh, <laughs> terrible. Now I feel really It's old. my last contract. My last contract. <laughs> One I'm, more I want year. a two-year deal. One more year. year. No, I want a two-year deal somewhere. Two-year deal, okay. I'll I know have, I'm injury prone. I'll have a word with your agent. We'll see what okay. we can work out. Um, uh, is it my turn? Yeah. I think it's my turn. Okay. Let's have uh, the... It's time for the Alexander Lacazette question. Okay. Um, so, Dumbledore's Gunt <laughs> on the Discord, I like that name, says, thoughts on lacquer huffing balloons again. Just a case of boredom in lockdown or a disregard for the club's authority, given he's been picked up, up on it before. Hashtag slow news day. Um, I mean, it's just a bit dim or something, isn't mm. it? Um, How has he actually been perhaps doing it? I like, think he where's the filmed it from? himself or one of his mates filmed it and then, you know. Leaked it or something. I mean, don't film yourself. Yeah. Don't film yourself. It's the it's like the old mafia adage. When you whack a guy, don't film it and then upload it somewhere because it might be evidence. I think that was in The Sopranos, wasn't it? Yeah, that's in the good, Yeah, quote. The Godfather. As far as I recall. Don't film when you whack the guy. Whatever you do, if I'm doing balloons, don't film me. <laughs> yeah. On this, the day of my daughter's ballooning. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, it just seems a bit stupid. Like, look, what he's doing isn't illegal, we should point out. And what they're doing is, it's, bas- it's laughing gas, isn't that right? It's nitrous oxide. Nitrous oxide, yeah. In a balloon... And it gives you, like, a bit of a head rush, apparently. Having never done a balloon filled with nitrous oxide in my life, I can't speak to how how it... Um, finally, finally, my youth comes into use. I can explain. the No, I, I, only in medical circumstances, I must stress. As a star of children's television, I must stress that it was only in medical circumstances. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's like a little buzzy head rush exactly that yeah. yeah so i mean i've got i don't care what lacazette does just don't film yourself look i think you're you have an obligation a professional obligation to behave in a, a certain way when you're a footballer and a highly paid footballer uh you know there's a responsibility that comes with it but you know let's not pretend that a guy sitting at home having a few huffs out of a balloon is that much worse than a guy who goes out at the weekend and, you know, gets shit-faced in a nightclub drinking champagne or whatever it is. You know, it's... Of course. They're both not great for you if you are a professional athlete. But usually, 
you know, the the guy in the VIP section of the nightclub is not filming himself glugging back champagne or doing Jaeger bombs or whatever it might be. You leave that till you're retired and you're Ray Parler. And you sit there and you just... <laughs> You, you you list the amount of beers that you're going to drink and the various I, types. I, I I need to call Ray Parler this week about a piece that I'm doing for The Athletic. And I keep thinking, I'm going to have to call about 9am to, <laughs> to get him, you know, before he started drinking. I don't know. What, is a, what do you think is a good time to call Ray Parler? Um, I would say 10.15 in the morning. Yeah. Because then he'll only have done, what, two Cobra bombs? <laughs> Fucking Cobra bombs. That's dropping a Jaeger into a glass of Cobra beer, right? And then sculling yeah. it down. Correct. Jaegermeister, right? Here's my here's my um, thesis, or what do you call it? My theory on Jaegermeister. Yeah. It is a drink that was invented by all the other drinks to make sure that you drink more. Because if you right. drink Jägermeister, chances are you'll, you know, you go, oh, I'm a bit tired. I'll have a couple of Jägers. And then you're like, oh, look at this. I'm drinking a pint of rum. It's like, what sure. the fuck? So I think it is, you know. Especially if combined with sickly sweet energy drink. Oh, no, no, never done that. Never done oh, that. Oh, really? No, no, no. I can't do disgustingly sweet energy drink. I just can't. Sure. It makes me... <laughs> Just it's so sweet. What about its uh, its rival, Monster? I have never had a monster in my life either. Ever They're terrifying. Yeah, they are pretty scary stuff. I'm I, not. I think just if I drink one of those now, I get palpitations. I think I can feel my heart coming out of my chest. It's scary. Yeah, I have no interest in that anymore. I'm but not, you know, yeah, I'm not great I, with energy drinks. So yeah, I would say about ten fifteen because he'll have had his morning workout. You know, in the gym, come for a run, whatever it is he does to keep himself in shape. You know, three hours of grueling workouts. Um, and then I reckon, yeah, by 10.15, you'll okay, be fine. Okay, 10.15. We'll you be fine. will okay. be fine. Uh, what uh, was the question? Oh, yeah, about Lacazette. Lacazette. Yeah, just don't film it, man. Don't film it. Yeah, and also, like, you know, I'm sure when, during the season, you know, I know it's technically the season now, but, like, it's not really, is it? I mean, he's going out of his mind. It's not good. Clearly he is with all those balloons he's been sucking on. It's off his fucking box. <laughs> he's sitting there fucking hallucinating, yeah. looking at the walls. Oh, look at this fucking shit, man. It's fucking great. Is that a camera pointing at me? No, it can't be. It is. It's one of your oh, so-called man. friends. They're going to sell it to the tabloids. It's been uploaded to an Instagram story. <laughs> Take it down, take it down. It's too late. It's out there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, yeah. Naughty boy, don't do it again. But obviously, he was told that once before. Yeah. He did it again. All right. Look, we've got one final question here uh, because we're going to have to go. It comes from Oshin O'Connor, who's at Ush Arsenal 97. He said, Would you rather be only able to whisper or only be able to shout? Oh, whisper, I think. Yeah. I think whisper. What if, though, let me just play out a scenario here for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you're you're going for a, a hike in the, the mountains in America. Seems unlikely, but I'm, I'll go with it. Yeah, go, go with it. it. I'm just painting the scenario. You can dismiss it afterwards, if you like. Okay. 
So you're going along and you're having a great old time and, you know, you're in the the kind of dusty mountains of, you know, around the Grand Canyon and shit like that. You know, the ones with the red rocks and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, I've we're going it. back to the whole James Franco thing here because he was in this film. So okay. you're, you're, you're going along and you go through a little crevice and a, a rock falls on your arm and you're mm. trapped. Oh, it's like that film, Army Trappy Guy, 127 Hours. That's what it's called. Yes. Johnny Arm Trap. So you're Johnny Arm Trap. I'm Johnny Arm Trap in this movie. You're Johnny Arm Trap and you're there and you're going, oh, fuck. I know about this because I saw a movie. Pretty much my only way out of this is if I cut my own arm off with a penknife. That's going to be really painful and sore. Hang on, though. I'll try and attract some attention and get some help. So you, you, you brace yourself and you go... There's a fucking there's a rock on my arm. Yeah. It's really sore, and I'm afraid. Please help me. That would be that's terrifying. That would be unfortunate. Whereas if you perhaps in that scenario were to go help, a passing hiker, a fellow hiker would have heard you and would just happen to have had a, a crowbar on him because he was just fixing a car or, yeah. or breaking into a car, actually, before he came on his hike. And he would have been able to get the crowbar and get the rock off your arm, and you would be, you'd be Johnny Two Arms rather than Johnny Arm and a Half. It's a good point. Why doesn't James Franco just shout in the film? I think he does, and there's nobody right. around. So it's not a foolproof strategy. It's not I mean, foolproof. What if the other side of the coin, I was at a social function, and I'd had too many... Cobra bombs, right? And I defecated in my trousers because I was <laughs> so ill from all the drinking, right. and I needed to make my excuses. Um, and I, a friend said, "Why are you leaving?" And I and I just wanted to tell them, <laughs> but then I shouted, "I've had so many Cobra bombs, I've shit myself!" Like, do you know what I mean? Like, really yeah. loud across the whole room. That, yeah, yeah, I guess that would be and an unfortunate to me, situation. That feels more likely to happen than me going mountain climbing. Right. So I will stick on that basis with the whisper. With the whisper. I'll become an ASMR. Is it ASMR? Yes. Like one of those creepy little people who does those oh, yes. videos. You have to talk and make sure you enunciate all the words. Yeah, it's actually really quite weird i i i had a like two day spell where i couldn't sleep and i downloaded <laughs> i downloaded an asmr podcast and i can't remember what it's called for the life of me because i was like someone said that's a good to help you sleep and it was all about it was just someone reading the wikipedia entry for um dwarfs in fiction <laughs> Give me. uh Gimli was a little dwarfy it, cunt yeah. with a big I'll do a, hammer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Snow White had seven of the little cunts living in her house. There was grumpy, twitchy. <laughs> oh no, that's that's Harry Redknapp. Sorry. Yeah. No, honestly, it was a it was a bloke just going. In Germanic mythology, a dwarf is a human shaped entity that dwells in mountains and in the earth. And I must have had the most fucked up dreams that night. <laughs> Like, I don't know. Did it help, so, though? Did it help you get to sleep? 
Oh, uh, of sorts, yeah. Right. Of sorts. I think I continued it for about three days, and then I, I think I was like, this is weird. This is actually really weird. Well, look, you know, this is another avenue that we can go down if football just doesn't come back in the way That's that we true. wanted to. We can yeah. do uh, ASMR podcasts about dwarves. That'd be great. Oh, we might have to do a different one, because dwarves has obviously been taken. Sure, we'll find goblins or something like that. Wasps. Wasps. Wasps are little cunts that fly around and sting you like Listen, you've got a good microphone. You could do this. This could be another avenue. I could, yeah. Don't try it with AirPods, guys. It won't... No, it won't work. I could do bespoke ones, like answering machine ones and stuff like that, like ringtones. Yeah, that'd be great. Like yeah, no one would hear it. Crazy frog. <laughs> Is your phone on silent? Um, no. sort of. <laughs> ring, ring. Just, a ring, ring. <laughs> That'd be terrifying. <laughs> what the fuck is that? <laughs> All right. Well, look, we will leave it there for today. Thank you very much for being with us, as always. Hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, we'll have more bits and pieces during the week. And, of course, we'll get more news on when football might return. Premier League are having a meeting today. They should uh, arrange the return to training protocols um, mm-hmm. in which all the players, they're only allowed to whisper at each other. Uh, switch. 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 <laughs> Whispering, but they can't get more than two metres away from each other. So it's really tough, actually. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. Hopefully they can overcome the challenges. Uh, Again, thanks a million for being here. We will catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.